The day began like any other for Carl Higdon. But it quickly changed when his work crew came down with the flu. Since he couldn't work without them, he decided to make the most of this unexpected day off and go elk hunting. He gathered his gear and said goodbye to his wife Marjorie, then headed out to Medicine Bow National Park. Once he arrived, he parked his pickup, and after a short hike, he came upon five elk. He steadied his 7mm Magnum rifle and squeezed the trigger. The elk were frozen there, and Carl watched the bullet leave the gun, travel about 30 feet, and fall to the ground. The elk remained completely unmoving, even as the shot sounded. Only, it didn't make a sound. There was no sound from the rifle, no ambient sounds from nature, and Carl was confused. The elk remained still even as Carl approached to retrieve and examine the bullet. Just as he put the bullet into his canteen pouch, a man approached, as if from nowhere. He was unlike any man Carl had ever seen. Perhaps he was no ordinary man at all. At closer glance, there were several strange things about this man approaching Carl. He was medium height, all in black, with strange straw-colored hair standing on end. Carl noted he could only see one hand, and the other was cone-shaped. He asked Carl if he was hungry. Carl said, sort of, and just as he did, three pills floated over to him. Carl took one and wondered why he felt compelled to do as this being said. He observed another strange sight nearby. A glass cube, the size of a room, sat silently. It was a solid object, but he could see through it to the other side of the forest. The being then asked Carl if he wants to go with him. Carl responds, Might as well. This is Fright Life, a paranormal podcast, and on this episode, we will discuss Carl Higdon, the abduction of a Wyoming hunter. Carl now found himself in a high back bucket seat. His arms were strapped down, and he had something on his head. He couldn't move, and recalls looking out of the glass and seeing a blue ball like a giant marble in the distance. He figured it was the earth. Carl says the being introduced himself as Ozo One. He told him they come here for elk and cows and go to the ocean for fish. Carl looked around and could see the five elk were there with them. You've got my elk, he told them. Next, Carl was taken behind a screen, before being told he wasn't what they were looking for, and that they would be taking him back. All of this communication was done telepathically. 
Carl felt a strange ease and was dropped off. He floated down gently until he landed, catching his foot on a rock, causing him to tumble down the hill, hitting his shoulder along the way. He didn't recognize where he was and wandered to a nearby truck. He used the truck's CB radio to call for help. Hey, welcome to Fright Life. We're your hosts, Joss and Monique. Hello. And on this episode, we are discussing the mysterious case of Carl Higdon. Oh my goodness, that was very (laughs) dramatic. I'm feeling dramatic this morning. Well, yeah, this case is interesting and dramatic in of itself in the fact that this Wyoming hunter went out for just a day hunt in... 1974. It was October 25th, 1974. And he claims he was abducted by aliens and then returned to Earth. So where we left off in the narrative, he had stumbled upon a truck. Mm -hmm. He used the CB radio. Now this actually turned out he, he was calling his own work because this turned out to be his pickup. But it was not where he left it. Oh, interesting. And he didn't recognize it. And there are other strange things that he mentions in his first-hand account. Like he didn't recognize the gear shift in the center of the truck. He, right, he didn't really fully know who he was or what had just happened. He was in a state of shock. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I mean, he's just been through, like, I don't know what, hyperspeed or... Uh, faster than light travel. Oh, sure. If, if you're <laughs> thinking that, yeah, he really went out there into space with these random, uh, this Ozo One guy yeah. who was just doing some hunting nearby as well. But let's backtrack a little bit. Sure. And start kind of at the top of his day. Okay. So, October 25th, 1974. Carl Higdon, just hardworking man, married. Got a new rifle. He's all excited about his new, uh, Seven millimeter magnum yeah. rifle. Yeah. Wants to take it out for a field test. Yeah. So he's, uh, his work crew has the flu. He's like, well, I can't do anything without you guys. So I'm going to just dip out and do some hunting. And on his way to kind of his regular hunting spot, he runs into some guys who are on the side of the road working on their truck. And so he pulls over and asks if they need help or anything, and they get to talking. And and these guys, who he didn't know, point him in a different direction. So his course of his day has now changed twice on him without his real right uh, deciding to do so beforehand. You know, he was supposed to go to work. He was supposed to go to his normal hunting spot. Mm-hmm. And those two things were interrupted by happenstance. He then runs into the game warden. They talk for a while. They have some coffee. So these are multiple people who have witnessed Carl in the beginning of the day as well. And he seemed normal. Normal Carl, functioning fine. uh, A testament to his character is just like a a good guy. Yeah, he stops stops along the way. to help these people that he doesn't even know. Yeah. And then, yeah, talks to the game warden. The game warden can attest to, yeah, Carl was in this spot. And... Doing great, you know, whatever. We talked about hunting, we had some coffee. So he went on 
and he hiked about three quarters of a mile into the forest, and he is on the northern edge of Medicine Bow National Forest, and didn't have to go far before he finds these five elk. And he remembers training his rifle onto one of the elk, and it was like a broadside shot, should have been easy. Mm-hmm. And as he's doing it, he's noticing that time feels weird. The elk are just frozen. And he shoots his rifle. No sound happens. He sees the bullet, slow motion, leave the barrel, hits something about 30 feet away that's invisible right in front of him, and fall to the ground, like midair. Right. Now, this isn't just the gun malfunctioning because he noted that everything was in slow motion. The elk didn't even react to him being there or shooting a weapon or even approaching them because now between himself and the elk is this bullet on the ground. Right. And he's like, what the heck? So he was walking over to retrieve it. He notes that everything feels like kind of a vacuum. There's no sound, no nature sounds. The elk are stuck there. Like, time and space seems warped. Okay. He picks up this crushed bullet after seeing it just stop midair. So why is it crushed, even if it's some sort of, I don't know. I'm not a ballistics expert. Yeah, even if it just is like a misfire and the bullet just kind of like petered out of the the barrel. And, you know, like trying to think of some logical explanation for that. Well, and the elk would have reacted, I would think. Definitely, but when also... a misfire, it still makes noise and alerts these animals with heightened senses. Right. Um, but if it was a issue with the bullet casing or something where the bullet didn't travel very far because of a malfunction, mm-hmm. it would still be a bullet, a bullet like yeah. in the shape of a bullet. But this is... This is... They note this as being turned inside out. Weird. Okay, so he doesn't even really pay attention to that at first, because right as he's putting it into his canteen pouch, knowing this is important to, like, figure out what happened, right. he sees this guy. And as he's, like, starting to observe the actual features of this guy, he's like, this is not a man. Yeah. This is a strange being. He has a very vivid description of him. Like straw-like hair, both in color and coarseness, and that it's sort of standing up. It's almost like somebody who didn't really have a lot of materials to like make fake hair and like look like a human. Yeah, I was but just it's thinking like janky. that it's like it's almost like it's it's wearing a human costume. Yeah, but like left his real one at home and had to like kind of cobble something of together. Yeah. So, right. So that's, it's weird. The the drawing that he does, that's like the famous drawing, Mm -hmm. it looks, it looks like a scarecrow to me. Yeah. And he doesn't have a chin. His face just kind of goes into his neck and he has no, I believe no left hand visible. Like you can see the whole arm and Mm -hmm. then it just stops. Um, But there is a suit, so it's like a sleeve, and then there's nothing coming out of it where a hand would be. And then on the right arm, there's like a weird cone-shaped thing coming out of the end of the suit. Yeah, some kind of a appendage thing, which again is just like, couldn't find hand-shaped things, so just went with like... (laughs) Put his arm in this cone end. 
and didn't have a second one. So right. you're just like, well, this one's just going to... Maybe it only had one arm. ...be here. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... So the suit he wore was black and thick, like a scuba diving suit. Mm-hmm. And it had some patches on it, like little regalia things and a little apron-y thing, flappy thing, that he said were symbols from this guy's planet. Right. And the the being was like, hey, man, you hungry? And he's like, yeah, I could eat. <laughs> and he like floats <laughs> these pills over to him. And he remembers, and his wife even notes later, that Carl barely takes aspirin. Mm-hmm. So it's strange that he just took random pills from a stranger. Mystery pills, yeah. Also, let's note he didn't take pills before this all happened because that could explain a few things right. for sure. Um, but the guy claimed this is our food. You know, we make it out of the the food we collect, like the proteins from animals, mm-hmm. and one pill can last for three days. It's protein pills, like on uh, Ground Control to Major Tom. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's space food. Yeah. Right. So he takes one, and he remembers thinking, that's weird, I just took that. And he also asks him, you want, you want to come along? You want to go like, for yeah. a ride? <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> and... The next thing he knows... Oh, before that, though, he sees the, what is the craft. Yeah. But at first, he has no idea it's a craft of any kind because it just looks like a glass cube, which he says cubicle. He describes mm-hmm. it as a glass cubicle. He could see the forest on the other side of it, so the glass isn't reflective. It's fully transparent. Presumably just a little... But he can't see little... anything inside of it. Right. It's like a... And he wonders if this is something, what he hit when he shot the gun. Makes sense. He hit it like an invisible force field and then was deflected. So next thing he knows, he's on that ship and it's bigger on the inside. Yes, uh, definitely some TARDIS vibes there. But it's also, it's weird because he doesn't recall how he got onto the ship. No. He kind of feels like, oh, I've just been like teleported here right. or or there's missing time right but he when he realizes he's on the ship he's like wait how okay this is weird yeah and he's strapped in yeah like, he's strapped like, down in this like bucket seat thing yeah. in the middle and he sees the elk also in the ship yeah in this small it was like a five by five kind of cube thing like it was like a little room like a tiny little room but now it's a That's ship huge. where five elk can fit kind of behind him and yeah. there's a control panel. And and the elk are still frozen. Still frozen, just how they were when he saw them. Yeah. As he approached and was trying to hunt them. And he's like, hey, you you got my elk. <laughs> and the guy's like, I'm Ozzo One. Yes, I've got your elk. We come here and hunt elk. We go to the ocean, we get fish. And then we go back to our planet. And isn't elk season in October? So, like, these aliens know that it's elk season specifically, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. And anyway, they take him behind a screen. They do some poking and prodding, and they're like, oh, you're not what we need. We're going to take you back. And he's like, well, how are they going to know? And he's like, oh, someone will come get you. And they drop him on the other side of the National Forest. And he tumbles down. Hurts his shoulder pretty bad as he, like, slips and rolls out Mm -hmm. and finds this pickup truck, which he doesn't even fathom is his because he's somewhere that he doesn't recognize. How would his truck be there? Right. And he's in this, like, muddy, sloped area. 
The truck is stuck in the mud, by the way. When rescuers come, they're like, there was no way this two-wheel drive pickup could have even gotten up here. Oh. Yeah, so that's, that's a little interesting. thing. So that's some, like, weird, like, object displacement. Mm-hmm. That stuff freaks me out a little bit. Yeah. So I he gets in. That. Oh, really? Yeah. Like find, finding stuff that is, like, in a spot where it absolutely should not be. Yeah. I don't know. That's cool. So he CB does the CB radio thing. He's like, I don't know who I am or where I am. I need help. And they're like, we need more information from you. And he's like, I'm in a truck. I'm in the fort. He starts like slowly kind of figuring out and kind of coming to almost. And at the same time this is happening, by the way, his wife, Marjorie, comes home from work around 4 p.m. and had this sudden urge. Now, she knows doesn't think anything is wrong or doesn't know anything is wrong. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to be out for the day. It's only 4. If he And she has no reason to suspect. No. And if he, he she did call a friend and she's like, "I'm worried about him. I have this weird urge that I need to get to him." And mm-hmm. she's like, "It's not that late, her friend. It's not that late. If he had to if he got an elk, he'd have to field dress it and carry it out. Like, sure. that's a process." So just be patient. And then she gets a call from his work. And they're like, we have a strange call in on the radio. We think it's Carl. It sounds like Carl, but he's not identifying himself. And he sees something is wrong. So they assemble a search crew. And it takes like the whole rest of the day. Right. Because even where the truck is and where Carl is, they finally find... It was hard for their four-wheel drive to get there. Wow. So he's not where he was, where he just pulled up after kind of seeing multiple people on the side of the road, pulls over, hikes less than a half a mile in. He's at the forest edge, and that is no longer where he is. He is fully... Yeah, he's like in the thick of it. Yeah. So do you think that when he was radioing for help, were they asking him, like, okay, but what's your name? Who are you? Yeah. They and were. he just wouldn't, like, couldn't answer? Yes. He kept saying, I don't know. He was like, you keep asking me that. I don't know who I am. He was obviously in distress. And when they finally meet him there, the sheriff is there. They call a doctor. And they determine that he... Because even a little scuffle happens. And Marjorie meets them up there, his wife. Mm-hmm. And he, she's like, "Get take his gun. I don't know what he's going through. Like, what he's possibly... Oh, right. Yeah, so they disarm him. Yeah. And examine the situation. He ends up riding with his friend back down the hill and starts to kind of remember things. Okay. At this point, he remembers who he is. They said, oh, he was just in a state of shock. So he had he had that going for him. And tells his friend, as they're driving to the hospital from the mountain, that... Like, all the details. And his friend, to this day, they even wrote a book about it, and these details are not in there. The friend will not say what he told him. Whoa. It's too too dark, too deep. So there's more to it than wow. what we even know. And the information that he was telling his friend, is this conversation something that also Carl can't remember? So Carl can remember it. and he Well, not yet, but he goes through hypnosis okay later on so on the way to the hospital he's recalling things he keeps saying 
they've got my elk, they've got my elk. He's still, like, a little wonky mm-hmm. in the head. He's not, like, fully himself. But he's getting some things out that his friend is like, I, I can't even talk about this. So they get to the hospital. They determine that he had shock and, like, amnesia. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't last long. So as he's starting to remember things more clearly, his wife hands him paper. And she was like, write this down. Smart. Draw the picture. What did you see? Yeah. And she was just not judging any of it and just like, tell me everything. Like, get it out. So, yeah, that's why they have the documentation of like what the being looked like and all of those details. She wanted it like right there while they were in the hospital. That's a good move. Yeah. Um, Also, it is one of the reasons that this case is so cool is that he went to the doctor like right after this whole ordeal. So there are medical records that show that he was in on that day. He had uh, like mild amnesia shock and he was being treated for those things. Right. And, and you do think that like in a hoax, how far is someone going to really go? Right. Like they fully had a search and rescue situation. Yes. That's documented and real. Yep. They, went to the hospital. They've got hospital bills, hospital records. And another thing that came to light during his hospital stay, because they went through a bunch of tests, um, he was x-rayed and his lungs were clear. And why that's weird is he had, prior to this, tuberculosis scars all over his lungs. Like, intense ones. Yeah. And so when the doctor was like, well, his lungs are clear, that looks good. And, you know, he's not because he'd been out in the wilderness. So they're testing him for, For, you know, illness and whatever. And she's like, wait, what do you mean his lungs are clear? They've never been clear since, you know. And yeah, his x-ray was fully clear. You can see his before and his after. So something happened because that's strange. That's wild. And... Carl later recalls that he thinks, because remember, he was examined in mm-hmm. the craft in right. space, yeah, wherever they, scanned they were. Him. And they said, we, you're not what we're looking for. And he thinks that it's because he had had a vasectomy. And so his reproductive system was not fully intact. Yeah. And that's, I mean, he inferred, like that was him in thinking that that's what they were inferring. Sure. So that's his interpretation, but... They were already doing telepathic communication, so mm-hmm. he may have picked that up. You know, you don't know the tone of the conversation. Yeah, right. Um, not being there, but when you're there, you can read between the lines. So I don't know necessarily if that was too big of a jump. Like, he was reading the right. kind of between the lines, and he assumes that that's why he was brought back. Yeah. I mean, that makes makes a lot of sense. I've been kind of hooked on these stories lately of people who have been taken by extraterrestrials to their planet for, you know, various reasons. But a lot of it comes down to, uh, reproductive stuff. Like the, yeah. the races, they, they don't have a way to reproduce due to genetic Or they're whatever. missing something in yeah. the genetic code down the line or... That it's, I mean, there are several theories about that and kind of what the implications are. Um, and this one, I mean, it's in the 70s, it does have a lot of holes. So, I've listened to several podcasts, I've watched a documentary, 
It's been featured on a few, like as a small piece of other Mm -hmm. documentation. And I've read the book. The book is Alien Abduction of the Wyoming Hunter. And that is written by Marjorie Higdon, his wife. His wife. So it's all his account. Right. And they're not writers. You know, that's not what they started off to be. The book is very clearly not written by someone whose calling in life was to be a writer. And I'm not trying to be rude. It's just there are things that as I'm reading, I've got questions. And I wish I could be like, okay, well, tell me more about that. Mm Mm-hmm. Or what, if you're saying this, then what was over here? Like, I want this to be a, a deeper dive. Yeah. Yeah, that is, it's funny because the book is like thin. It's like, like 78 <laughs> font yeah. and like 50 pages. Yeah. But, I mean, the fact that it's a firsthand account is fantastic. It's really cool. Or I guess secondhand, but she's, you know, she directly spoke with him and they yeah. talked about this like every day. Um, you know, it changed his entire life. Um, but... It's featured on more things, and that's kind of where it really validates yeah. these stories. And right now, or in the last few years, investigator Dave Politis yeah. has been studying disappearances in national parks. This is not the first time we've talked about disappearances in national parks and strange circumstances. Mm-hmm. We talked about Mount Shasta. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we're very interested in this. And he has put together Dave Politis. By the way, he was an, a police officer and a detective, and he's now an investigative author. And mm-hmm. he's he's gone into the fringe because he witnessed some things that could not be explained. Yeah, and he didn't start out to be into the paranormal right. at all. It was something that sort of found him. Right. And he works with uh, FBI agents who have also gone down this path because of what they've seen. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is fantastic. These are trained observers, trained investigators who are saying, hey, this is unexplained, and all of these cases are similar. And so he developed these profile points, and Carl Higdon wasn't even part of what he was investigating. Right. Dave Politis is investigating contemporary stories. Yes. And he could go back in the case studies and see, well, this happened in 74 Yeah, in the same national park. Same place. And it's always, so October, which earlier I noted hunting season yep. for elk hunting. I mean, that's at least here in Oregon, elk hunting is sure. October. I know nothing about hunting. I'm a vegetarian. I don't get it, but just interesting. So multiple disappearances happened in October in, in this national park. Yeah. Um, is that just because the hunters are out there in October? Well, I don't know. Yes. I mean, I think that what we're looking at here is the, if you go by Carl's case, mm-hmm. whatever entities are visiting are coming here for resource gathering. Right. And Carl just is in a place where he shouldn't have been. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, Any either way, it's a pattern. So yeah. it's October, it's the same area. And there have also, besides disappearances, which, by the way, Carl is the only one to have been returned. Yeah, and um, the investigator guy, Dave Politis. Politis, says that if if Carl hadn't been returned, we probably never would have even heard about his disappearance. Because it was such just like a, he's he's like a... He had just been a lost Regular hunter. guy, yeah, that right. just was lost in the woods. So 
This is happening more and more, and also sightings are happening. Lights in the sky. Triangle-shaped craft. But specifically, I want to make the connection to the The elk. elk. Yeah. Because it's usually these hunters, and this is more than just in Wyoming, by the way. Mm -hmm. Now this is like... There are cases of outdoorsmen and hunters in various All national over the parks. Place. Yeah. And these elk that Carl kind of trained his rifle on and was going to take out ended up in the craft. Mm-hmm. The guy, and this is 1974, remember? The guy's like, oh, yeah, uh, we took the elk. Sorry, we do that. We come down. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's why we're here, also. Yeah. You know, we got him first. And. There have been people in a more like recent years. Mm-hmm. This group of hunters witnessed a small craft pick up an elk. Yeah. And carry it off like through the sky. Yeah, and down over the like valley or whatever. Yeah, and it, they note that it actually like the craft bumped into a tree mm-hmm. and then reversed and went around. So it seems more like I don't know real not you know not like the high tech where it's like yeah. phasing in and out of existence right and, and whatever like they literally watch it like tractor beam up this elk mm-hmm. you know there were no cables attached yeah that was part of one of the interviews that was kind of funny as he's like oh and, and how like, thick was the cable yeah it was like there was no cable yeah and the interviewer guy's like does like yeah head cocked to the side like what yeah because yeah if you hear that story you yeah. watched a craft hover over the forest pick up an elk and carry it off. You imagine like a claw machine at least. (laughs) And, but no, nothing that was visible picked this elk up Mm -hmm. besides it was like hovering beneath the craft. Right. And that just is so bizarre that it's related to the elk because in 1974, Ozo one told Carl, yeah, this is where we come to get elk. Mm -hmm. And there's now incidents with multiple elk hunters sightings of craft literally carrying an elk off yeah into the sky just strange but a different type of craft yeah that is very interesting and it leads me to wonder a are there different species who are coming to earth to hunt elk or do they just have like different like they're just hunters with their trucks Right. Right. So they all have different gear, different yeah. different vehicles. Some of them are better equipped than others. You yeah. know, put a little more money into it. Right. However, their thing works. But yeah, that is interesting. We always expect it to be the same exact type of craft. If it's mm-hmm. like, oh, there's one type of extraterrestrial out there, they have one type of craft. Yeah. But why would that be the case? We don't all have. You know, we've got a 1967. Chevy <laughs> yeah. and a Tesla. Yeah. So like even exactly. just in our own family, we have two. We like... have the glass cube and the triangle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, super interesting stuff. And the and other it... thing, if you have a chance to find the, what were we watching that had the really good interview with Carl? It was, um, Four one one. Yeah, miss. The, so Dave Politis, he has a yes. series of books and now documentaries that are missing four one one. Yeah, and he starts off doing this missing four one one just to try and 
find these people yeah, who have gone he's missing. He's investigating had, people going missing in national forests, not paranormal. Right. He just is like, it's weird that people keep going missing. Where are they going? Yeah, and then the more he studied it, he could see, like, this is literally without a trace. Yeah. Why would there not be a trace? And so, you know, in, he says in 95% of the cases that he now, this one's called Missing 411, the UFO connection. Mm-hmm. So that's where, you know, we kind of cross-reference this Carl Higdon stuff. And he's in the show. He's interviewed Carl Higdon yeah, in, the, in this Missing 411. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. It's like you get to see this guy and he's just like a regular guy. He's sitting in his armchair and he's delivering his story so just matter-of-factly. Like it doesn't... There's there's not a single piece of it that seems disingenuine. Right. Like, he is just like, yeah, I went hunting and this weird thing happened. Yeah. And you just believe it. You just believe the heck out of it. Yeah. And I did start off believing it. I, I think David Dave Politis, in his studies, like, he is intelligent and he... I could follow him down the rabbit hole. He has facts. He he developed the profile points mm-hmm. where, like I was going to say before, in 95% of the cases, uh, there is no scent or trail left. So dogs come out. Yeah. They can't track anything. And that's super rare. Like right. there's search and rescue teams that go on the record saying like, usually we find the dogs will pick up on something and you'll at least get. Get something and then it stops. Yeah. But no, this is, yeah, exactly. This is nothing. So I could follow him down it. I had more questions. I wanted more out of the book. Yeah. It is one that is just hard to swallow with this description of the scuba suit and the weird hair. And also he said two pieces of the hair look like antennas coming out. And so, I mean, that's an alien with antennas and a little control panel where he literally saw the earth leaving and like them leaving the earth. And it turns into this, the size of a giant marble in the distance. It's like, okay, really? Yeah. It seems, even for me, like, I'm pretty on board with paranormal things. Yeah. I'm like, well, I would have asked more questions of you. Like, if I were writing your account. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not judging them at all. Just as, it's hard for me to take it at that level of believability I had for the Dave Politis documentary Mm -hmm. after I read the book. Yeah. And I, we, we talked about the book off mic. Yeah. And it it is written by people who don't have that kind of like investigative mindset. Right. And not to be offensive or anything, but to me it it sounds like uh, the account like of a a child kind of like yes, it was... writing it as an essay or right. something, you know, it's but when you pair that with the interview on and the, the documentary, and then the it becomes records. Yeah, the, right. So I mean, definitely something happened. So the book is just a small piece of it, and right. you get kind of like this sort of quasi like dreamlike explanation. Yeah, I was just gonna say dreamlike because it'll be like, and then I was here and looking at this, and I'm like, okay, but no, I want like to my left were the elk, or behind me were the elk in the glass cube, yeah. and they were encased in this kind of thing. And how did you get from point A to point B? I want more of that, but that is a little unfair because he might not know that. Yeah. Like he later, he was interviewed. He went through hypnosis. Mm-hmm. He 
you know, people wrote articles on him, and he went to the the counseling, you know, all the things for the trauma. Yeah. And stuff would come out. So I'm sure there are more detailed accounts on it. And, you know, we've seen a couple. Yeah. But, but the book didn't have that. And that's where I wanted it the most. Sure. Because it was, you know, written then off of what he said to his wife directly. And I would have been asking you, like, color, size, distance, and angles. And yeah. how did you get from point A to point B? Even if you didn't remember, say, I couldn't remember how this happened versus this happened. Yeah, at least there would be that that joining statement of, right. I can't remember how I got there, but then I was in this room. Right. And Or like, me. where was the screen? It makes yeah. it almost sound in the book like they actually went to a different planet for a second. Yeah, that's what... Because the screen didn't... When I was reading this thing, um, they talk about how he watched the Earth kind of shrink away yeah because they were traveling so fast and somewhere in there he got the notion that they went 160 oh yeah 163,000 light years away mm-hmm. like in an instant yeah and they arrive at this massive tower with all these flashing lights on it that were too bright for him to look at yes that's a big part of it that i didn't talk about yet okay you didn't talk about it so i was wondering if maybe what i was reading was like a different you know sometimes no when you they read mention two different it. articles it's like where are they getting this information right no so, but that's in the book okay but it doesn't that's the thing that it it's not drawn to anything else right it's not like he says something like the space needle at the at the world's fair mm-hmm and they're look, he was looking down on people who were like going about their business. But I'm like, okay, so are you suddenly, how are you both looking at the Space Needle as if it were a big tall tower with lights coming out of it, mm-hmm. and, and also in it looking down on people? Right. So I think that that's what. Any more details? Is part of his experience is that he's kind of like phasing in and out of mm-hmm. consciousness. Mm-hmm. So he's like, we left the Earth, I saw it shrink away. And then all of a sudden, I was looking at this tower, and we were getting closer to the tower. And then I was looking down from the tower. Right. So it's like he's like, it's like, I just picture him like eyes closing, fading out, and then coming back. And he's like, oh, what are we doing now? Okay. Yeah. So that you know makes I mean? sense. And he did. He talked about the lights even after he was rescued. Mm-hmm. Everything was, he, he was going through that trauma. Yeah. Or, you know, responding to the trauma. And he had sort of this like immediate, PTSD, where everything was too bright. Yeah. The headlights of the cars, the hospital lights, you know, which already are too bright. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he did recall that. Okay. And they kept, there were things that they, in the book, repeated over and over again. And like you were saying, kind of like in a, it's like a teenager wrote an essay. Yeah. Right. Or a fiction sci-fi piece, True. actually. Um, and some of it is first person and some of it's third. So that kind of took me in and out of it a little. But he hit his shoulder. And just like with the lights, it kept just saying like, ow, my shoulder. Mm-hmm. Ow, the lights. My shoulder, my shoulder, my shoulder. And it would repeat it a bunch. Yeah. So it was emphasizing that. And I was always wondering, like, is something going to be said about the shoulder? Like, is there an implant in his shoulder? Oh, yeah. Because he keeps saying how bad his shoulder hurt. Yeah. But he also mentioned... He didn't fall that great of a distance. While he was dropped into this new area, mm-hmm. it wasn't like just dropped straight out. He sort of slipped on a rock and tumbled. Right. 
And they don't talk about an injury to his shoulder specifically okay. after he, he was examined. So there might be something more to that. Yeah. To be uncovered later. Yeah. But I mean, maybe they didn't know to check for implants. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> Joss checks I for know. alien implants like every morning. I do. I, I'm pretty sure there's one in my finger, but. I mean, he's mostly joking. We're not that out there we're mostly joking but there's like a weird like (laughs) lump in my finger and i'm not sure what it is um (laughs) we should probably get that checked out um yeah and then he also mentions that he saw a crowd of people like around him just in this article but maybe that's what you were talking about where he was like looking down on a crowd of people Mm -hmm. but he can't figure out who they were or what they were doing yeah, and they said specifically people who looked like him. Yeah. So not like the, the Ozzo character. Right. But he did see more of those Ozzo-type yes. people. And he's not sure what their names were or anything. Oh, that's interesting. I I just have these little, like, flashes of connection stuff. It's interesting that he's told that he's not what they need, so mm-hmm. we're going to send you home. But he witnesses other humans there Existing. that were like what they were looking for. Yeah, and but and he specifically says like just going about their day happily. Yeah. So that's cool. This is where all the abducted people are. Yeah, and they just like have a new society. Yeah. Cool. I mean, if it's happy. Yeah, as long as they're they're chilling, that's but, cool. Oh, crazy! Yeah, but that part, see, like everything was emphasized, like the my shoulder, my shoulder, my shoulder, eight million times, but yeah. then. It was a tiny blip where it's like this bright space needle type thing with people below it. Yeah. Didn't have any more emphasis on it. There was nothing else about it. So I didn't even think to emphasize it, I guess. But that's a huge piece of it. So thank you for bringing that part up. Yeah. I just, and then they were like, well, we can't use you. So we're going to take you home. Bye. And then he, like, they drop him off. And like you said, it's, they didn't actually like physically drop him. It's almost like he kind of floated down and tripped put back on earth and was like wandering around in a daze mm-hmm. and then tripped and fell. Yeah. You know, something else they don't talk about in a lot of the interviews, but is in the book is that they do return to the spot and look oh, around. Okay. And this is also something that's glazed over in the book. And I want more of, of this. Mm-hmm. Um, they, he gets his friends together and his wife and they go on an outing just like a Sunday outing mm-hmm. and they are checking the spot. And this was weeks later because he was not ready to be around the spot right, right after this happened. Um, and they noted burn marks and carvings in the trees. Interesting. But that's all that it says. So if you guys, if anyone knows more about these tree carvings and the burn marks, uh, let us know. Yeah. Cause it was kind of glazed over in the research I was trying to but then they do have, like, there are pictures of the bullet. Yes, so that is another thing. So we've got the creature guy, the Ozo one with mm-hmm. the good description. We've got the glass case of emotions. <laughs> and we've got the elk, the strange stuff with the elk, and then this bullet. Yeah. So this bullet is physical evidence. Yes. Like Carl's medical records. Mm-hmm. It was... Studied by ballistics, whatever. And they determined that this bullet struck something very hard. 
and it was essentially turned almost inside out. Yeah. So it's smashed. So instead of penetrating something, it fully smashed on impact. Yeah. But nothing was there that he could see. Well, at nothing point. hard enough that he's out in the middle no, of the wilderness. No, a bullet wilderness. would penetrate a tree. Even. Exactly. So like which what? they did test the gun. Ah. So when they went back and they mm-hmm. were they found the burn marks and they found the marks on the tree, they shot his gun against a tree and it penetrated the tree. Right. That's a gun designed to take down an elk. Right. So these bullets are massive. Yeah. Um so for it to hit something and crumple instead of penetrate or like make a dent or something mm-hmm. that object had to be I mean <laughs> I don't even know what what it could be. Yeah. So not only that, but Marjorie had this impulsive idea to go and get the bullet professionally photographed. So those photographs you see are actually something she paid to have done. Interesting. And so they get all angles of it, and then they compare it, and they do a side-by-side with what it should look like. Uh-huh. And, and the place where she had that processed burned down. Whoa. So that's just kind of a weird conspiracy piece of it. Yeah. Like soon after? Yeah. Wow. But I mean, they have the evidence still. So it's not like it was, if if the government was like, we'll destroy this evidence, they did a terrible job. Right. But just kind of interesting that that's where she went and had it processed and then it was destroyed. But she had a copy. Yeah. Huh. I don't know, man. This this one is interesting, but not because of the, the like story that was told. It's almost like it's more compelling because of all the peripherals around it that like back up the story. Yeah, the story sounds like a dream, or like maybe like I said, he took whatever weird pill before he started seeing all of these right. things. But yeah. but he didn't. He was drug tested as well at yeah. the hospital. But. I don't know. It's like this case has so many details about certain things mm-hmm. and just not enough about the things that seem like they would be the most compelling. Yeah. Um, but who knows? He seems like a trustworthy guy. The fact that Dave Politis talked about it yeah. within the scope of these other missing hunters and sightings is, I think, the most concrete to me. Mm-hmm. It's super interesting. So what do you guys think about this case? Just based on the information that we've been able to provide to you uh, in podcast form. And would you want to hear more stories like this? Because there's a bunch of them out there. Yeah, we definitely are interested in these missing hikers and hunters. Yeah. Because of the lack of evidence when really... There should be something left behind. Yeah. So it definitely seems like abduction or something mystical. Exactly. Something paranormal. Interdimensional, perhaps. Like, I don't know. And by lack of evidence, it's not lack of, like, supporting facts to back up the case. It's lack of these people disappear and then, like, there's no sign of them. Right. At all. And if you just are, you know, if it's animal predation, if it's... You fell down a ravine. 
usually there's a, a, a trail, yeah. a scent, a track, the remains of your items. So it's super interesting for sure. We, we do like this case uh, for what it is. Yeah. For more Frightful content, make sure you check out our website, FrightLifeParanormal.com, where you can listen to all the past episodes of our podcast if you're a new listener and you need to catch up. Um, if you're a reoccurring listener, thanks so much for coming by and joining us today. Yeah, and following along. Make sure you go and like and share and rate us because that just helps with the visibility. So it mm-hmm. connects us to more people who may just like what we're doing. For and sure. And that, that would be fun to see. You can find us on social media at Fright Life Paranormal. And if you'd like to drop us a line, you can reach us at FrightLifeParanormal at gmail.com. We hope you've had a frightful time with us. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. We'll see you next time.